Hi, I'm Hillary Walsh, a serial entrepreneur, award-winning immigration lawyer, law professor, TEDx speaker, and raving Phoenix Suns fan. Over the past decade, I've helped thousands of immigrants live free in the United States. I'm talking work permits, social security numbers, green cards, their citizenship, VAWA, T-Visa, U-Visa, and lots of successful appeals. Here's the thing. Immigration law is super complicated and legal advice, well, it can be pretty expensive. So I created the Immigration Law Made Easy podcast to share my 10 plus years of experience with you for free. So if you're looking for tried and true, no BS, step-by-step strategies and tips on how to win your immigration case and live truly free in the United States, you're in the right place, my friend. Let's get started. What's up, my friends? Today, I want to visit with you about everything you need to know about attending your green card interview with USCIS. Now, if you have what's called a Stokes interview, like you're being called in specific for, uh, it's called Stokes, S-T-O-K-E-S. It won't necessarily say it on your interview notice, but if you're being called back in for a marriage-based interview because they think that something may be going on, this isn't going to cover all of that for you because that's kind of a separate interview process. But this is going to be for everybody else who's a really run-of-the-mill standard thing. And you know what? Truth be told, Stokes interviews aren't super common anyway. And I'll do a separate video on that for you if you would like. So let's get down to it. Attending your USCIS green card interview. This is not at the consulate. This is here in the United States. You're going in because you're trying to adjust your status. You've either been, you've gotten granted asylum in the past or whatever. You've got a U visa. Uh, maybe you're married to a U.S. citizen and you entered with a visa. Maybe you got a VAWA approval. Maybe you got a T visa approval. Maybe your U.S. citizen child over the age of 21 has petitioned for you, and um, you know you entered with a visa or you know you were waived through or something like that. So you have a lawful entry. Maybe you're 245i. Lots of reasons, lots of ways to be able to go in for your USCIS green card interview. And as a 10 plus year immigration lawyer doing family-based immigration, I'm going to tell you everything that you need to know in this video in order to, you know, prepare for it, to go in and feel really good about it, and maybe spot some issues that I've seen come up for people in the past. And this is a great thing, video podcast to review maybe the day or two before that you go in just because it's like a good refresher. In my firm, New Frontier Immigration Law, we do basically a one-hour prep with everyone so that they are really prepared for their interview and kind of go through like a dress rehearsal. And what my hope is with this video is that we do a little bit of that here. Obviously, you and I are not engaging and I'm not able to be the USCIS officer that sometimes I pretend to be in my office for my clients. So my hope is that by the time you're done with this video, you feel really confident that you know what you're going to expect so that when you do go to your interview, you're like, oh yeah, that's what she was talking about. Oh yeah, this isn't scary. And oh yeah, I am waiting for a really long time in the lobby. I'm happy that this is going to be over soon. Okay. So let's get down to it. I'm going to talk about four main things in this video. One is who needs to go. Two is what you need to do to prepare for your interview. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time here just because I feel like the more you you prepare, the less things can go wrong. And that always makes all of us happy. 
three is going to be what to expect during the interview, which I think is what most of you are really going to be interested in is like what happens inside that room. And number four is possible outcomes and kind of where you go from there. You ready? Let's rock and roll. Who needs to go? So it will usually say on your interview notice who needs to be there. So if it's based on your marriage, I-130A, let's get this right, hasn't been adjudicated yet, then your spouse is going to need to go with you to the interview. Now, there's going to be like all sorts of questions that come up. The question in my mind that just came up is like, well, what if my spouse and I had a had a fight the night before and she doesn't want to come with me? Well, that's a whole other thing. And you should probably just call me. This video is not going to necessarily help a whole lot in that specific situation. That's pretty serious. I would push pause here and just give me a call. So in any event, though, if your child has petitioned for you and I-130 has already been approved, then usually I would have the child go with you and just sit in the parking lot in case the USCIS officer wants to chat with the child because the child may be your I-864 sponsor. And so even though the I-130 has already been approved and your family relationship that they can and you know have petitioned for you and all that's good to go has already been adjudicated, they may just want to visit with the child, the, the adult son or daughter, to make sure that they understand and like their evidence is all teed up for you to be successful in your green card petition. But for the most part, you definitely need to be there. And we'll talk about whether or not you need an interpreter in just a moment because they may need to be there. But I always have my clients, always, 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 unless there's some type of extreme circumstance that prevents it, have their petitioner go with them. So whoever filed the I-130 for you, assuming you have one, if you're doing a, a VAWA adjustment of status, or you're doing a T visa adjustment of status, or even a U visa adjustment of status, you, my dear, do not have an I-130, so you don't need to worry about this part. But if your kid or your parent or your spouse has petitioned for you, they're going to have filed an I-130 for you. And I would have them go with you. It's like, even when it's not mandatory, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. I went down to Tucson. I'm I'm based in Phoenix. And I had a, a gentleman who we were doing a 245i adjustment for. His name's Martin. And we went down to Tucson and his son had petitioned for him. Um, his son's I-130 had already been approved. The 245i petition had clearly already been approved because it had gotten approved back in 2001. And really we were just going to go adjudicate. The officer just had to adjudicate the I-864, the I-485 I and the 245i petition to make sure, you know, the fine had been paid and everything else. So really the son didn't need to be there because everything related to him was mostly all teed up. We had him come anyway, and the officer was like, is the son here? And then we're like, yeah, he actually is. He's in the parking lot. This was during the pandemic, so everybody was really, uh, you know, very understandably sensitive about bringing extra folks into these little rooms that these interviews go down in. Anyway, we brought him in. The officer just asked him a couple questions about, like, is this your dad? And I was like, yes, this is my dad. And and he was there for less than 90 seconds and had him go back out. So it was kind of a strange deal, but for whatever reason, the officer wanted that to happen. And I was very happy that the son had driven down with dad, with Martine. Okay. So that's who needs to go. Um, 
if you have an I-130 petitioner, they should go with you. It just makes the most sense that way, even if they don't even, you know, end up getting called back into the USCIS interview you interview room. Okay. Try to say that three times fast. Next up is how do I prepare for this interview? You're going to get asked, like, it's kind of when I talk to my clients about preparing for naturalization and they're like, oh man, these questions, I'm so nervous. You basically already have a list of all the questions you're going to be asked in your attorney. If you had an attorney fill it out or you, when you filled out all of your paperwork, you already filled it out. You already know the playbook. So I hope that gives you some peace of mind. Now, I'm a firm believer that even in the most straightforward cases, every case has a wrinkle. Every case has one little thing that it's like, oh, this is perfect, smooth sailing, no big deal, except for this one little thing. And I'm going to have to explain that one little thing when I'm in the interview. So if you, you probably have that, you probably have a little wrinkle in your case because no case is without a wrinkle. It's just part of life. So you already have the playbook, you know what they're going to ask you. So what you'll want to do in preparation is print out what you mailed in. If you, you know, made a photocopy or whatever, get your photocopy out. If you scanned it in and you've got it, you know, photos of it on your phone, then you're going to want to look at it on your phone and go through question by question. And this is especially important if you're doing a marriage-based interview. If I'm trying to get my green card through my husband, he's an American, I'm immigrating. We both need to know each other's date of birth. We both need to know where each of us were born. I've been married for almost 19 years and I'm like, where was my husband born? I know he's born in New Jersey. I think he was born in Tom's River. <laughs> Who? I mean, this is stuff that you like... For, for uh, sickness and sickness and in health, you don't need to know these things, but USCIS thinks that if you don't know it, maybe your marriage is fake. So don't hate the player, just hate the game and the USCIS, they, they got to play the game. Okay. So go through and learn all this information. What was our first date? When did you propose to me? You can Google and it is entertaining, but seriously accurate. If you Google and ask, you know, what are the most common questions that couples get asked in a green card interview and, you know, sit down, get a bowl of ice cream or whatever is your, you know, um, vice of choice and go over those questions with your spouse. Okay. And if it's your kiddo, you know, those are going to be way easier to adjudicate because you're either the dad or the mom or you're not. And USCIS has really specific instructions on that. So those are much easier to prepare for, but none of the questions should come out of left field. You're going to know, like, when did you enter? And the officers are going to ask these questions almost verbatim and in order. The first questions they'll ask will be all the questions on the I-130 and the I-130A if you have that. Don't worry if you're like, I don't even know what an I-130A is. That's if you're doing your green card petition based on your marriage, you'll have an I-130A. If you're doing it on your parent, based on your parent or your, your kid, your adult son or daughter, you're not gonna have an I-130A, so don't worry. Um, and if you're doing it based on your marriage, if you didn't even file it right up front, they'll probably send you, you know, either an RFE or something and ask for it. And if they don't catch it before your interview, just bring it to your interview with you. No big deal. 
it'll be all right. Okay. So go through the I-130 and then you go through the I-485. That's how that's the order that they're going to go in for your green card questions. Okay. So I love a good dress rehearsal when before I was, I mean, I'm still a little bit funny in this way. It's probably extreme. I would be a, a method actor if I were an actress is I like to go really do a dress rehearsal before big events, because I believe that once I've experienced it and I have familiarity with it, it just makes my brain, you know, be at ease. So I can focus on, oh, I've already been here before. And I already know where the bathroom is. And, uh, you know, I, I know where to go. So before I took the exam to get into law school, you have to take this exam to get into law school called the LSAT. I like went and it was at a college in, in Oklahoma, I think maybe it was in Wichita. I can't remember. And I went and sat in the seat I wanted to sit in for the LSAT. And I sat there and imagined myself passing the LSAT and getting a really good score. And I found the bathroom. So I would know that when it was time to, you know, run to the restroom during the exam time, because you didn't really get bathroom breaks, you run out and run back real quick. I would know where it was and that there would be fewer variables for me to freak out over during showtime. And I really recommend doing that exact same thing with your preparations for your interview, because if you know your date of birth, your spouse's date of birth or your kid's date of birth or your mother-in-law's name, like your kid's dates of birth, um, where everybody was born, where you got married, your marriage date, all of these things are all, you've already filled it out once. Your last five years of employment history, oh my gosh, why do we need to know this off the top of our heads? You know, whatever, just prep for it. Kind of like you're prepping for a, a pop quiz about your life, but it's not a pop quiz it's an open book exam. So like, if you need to say, I, I don't remember, I need to look at my form here. Cause I brought my own copy. You can look down and you'd be like, Oh yeah, I forgot. I, I, uh, the last job I worked at was in 2017. It was at such and such place in Oklahoma city, Oklahoma. And I was a fill in the blank on what my occupation was, you know, I, I just run through them in the order they're going to be asked about because then you're going to feel the flow of the interview and you're going to know where they're at. And this is especially important when they're asking you all of the questions that are like the have never have I ever questions is what I call them. And it's like, never have I ever been a terrorist? Never have I ever been a prostitute, benefited from prostitution, asked someone to benefit from prostitution, seen someone benefit from prostitution, et cetera. You know the questions I'm talking about if you've already filled an I-485. And if you haven't, you should Google it and go to like page 11, uh, 11, 12, something like that. And they, they're, they're kind of entertaining because it's like uh, you start to realize that America was sort of founded by a bunch of prudes and they uh, are really worried that someone's going to engage in polygamy, prostitution, gambling, and other vices is what it's called. And it's like, man, those aren't really all that bad of things anymore. Um, <laughs> like <laughs> things can be a lot worse, but in any event, you want to go through all of those and really take it seriously. I'm kind of making light of it right now, but I'll tell you a story about one of my clients. She was from Venezuela. She fled right before Venezuela kind of imploded. Uh, this video is created in 2023. So I hope that Venezuela recovers, but Venezuela was getting real bad in like 2019-ish and it has continued to become worse and worse over the years. 
uh, the government's really just uh, become very corrupt. So she came to the U.S. on vacation and ended up staying. Uh, was too afraid to go back, and um, her she didn't file for asylum because she got married to a U.S. citizen. So we filed for her green card, and. Around that time, Donald Trump had been elected president. Now, this is not to say anything about Donald Trump as a president, but one of the questions in the green card application is, have you ever or do you plan to overthrow the U.S. government? I'm paraphrasing, but you get the idea. And her answer was, well, I hadn't before Donald Trump was pres elected president. She was not much of a fan of Donald Trump, as you can tell. It was meant as a joke, and it's like the last five to seven minutes of a high kind of stress interview because they've already gone through the I-130. They ask all these questions about her and her her new husband and you know all this stuff, and so the interviewer kind of got her warmed up, and you start feeling like, okay, like we're friends, we're clicking, we got a vibe going and all this stuff, and then you make a joke, and the mood really changed when she made that joke. Because you cannot be messing around with jokes in your USCIS interview. I mean, just don't do it. So if you are someone who, and I say this every time I'm prepping one of my clients for these interviews, if you're someone who gets nervous and starts making jokes, my husband is one of those people. On some level, I'm kind of one of those people too, but it's that like Chandler being joke, 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 joke. You're going to want to practice not making jokes because this is really not the time to, to make like what you feel like, or this is not the time to say bomb in the airport. Okay. This is not the time to say terrorists on an airplane. You just can't joke in your USCIS interview. Everything worked out fine for her. And you also don't want to get political in your USCIS interview. Like what if that officer thought Donald Trump was the absolute very best president in the whole wide world? You just don't want to strike a chord that could be adverse from with the person who's adjudicating your ability to stay in this country. And I'll talk a little bit more of that later when we talk about, you know, not taking things personally, but this is a great way to prep is listen to the question that's asked, have your spouse or your kid or, or whomever is a trusted friend, ask you the question and listen to the whole question. Don't just say no, 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 no. Even if the answer is no, because the officer needs to finish the full sentence. And this is true, especially if this is being translated to you, is they're going to ask you almost verbatim the whole question. And some of these questions are very long and you're like, oh my gosh, why do I have to go through all this? My friend, you've got to go through all of it. It's just one time. Stick with it. Okay. And listen to the whole question and then answer no. And what I will say is if you do not understand the question, some people get flooded. This is like a term in psychology where like you get nervous and just everything kind of shuts down because you feel very flooded with um, nervousness and anxiety or adrenaline. And maybe English is not your first language and maybe you're extremely fluent in it and you just get flooded and you're not quite understanding. You can totally take a beat and say, can you ask that again? Or can you rephrase that? Cause I am just not getting this question today and it is okay. And if they can't understand you because you have an accent, that does not mean you're not speaking English. I, I think that should be obvious, but if they're saying, I can't understand you, you can say, um, I understand you and I'm responding in English. I just have an accent. 
Is there another officer that maybe will understand my accent better? You can say something like that. So, so stand up for yourself, but again, don't make jokes about serious topics, even if you feel flooded, or even if you feel like the joke is going to really land because this officer totally gets you. This officer works for the U S government. And this officer is not wanting to approve people who are not good people. And that brings me to my next point. So now you've prepared, you're all good to go. And, uh, you need to know what to wear. And you're like, what, what, what's the dress code here? Well, I'll start by telling you what USCIS officers wear. They're going to wear business casual. Usually there are some officers who have just great style and they wear like their suit and their vest and they just look super, super sharp. But most of your USCIS officers are going to wear a lot of the women are going to be in like a, a blouse and maybe a cardigan slacks and uh, closed toed flats. It's rare to see a USCIS officer wearing heels because they have to walk a lot. They walk very far back to their office and then they walk every single interview. They have to walk all the way back from their office up to the front to get you. And then they walk you back and then they return you. So they're, they get a lot of steps in, in a day if they're doing interviews all day long. So most of them are wearing flats. I don't know if that matters to you, but I hope it paints a good picture. What I like to say is hey, there's nothing wrong with being the best dressed person in the room. So long as you are comfortable, if you are uncomfortable, it's not going to work because you're just going to like, don't wear something where you feel like you got to hold your gut in and hold your breath and that sort of thing. I have done that. And it's just the worst because then you can't get your air, wear something that feels like you, if you want to wear jeans, like, I mean, if you want to wear jeans and a t-shirt and a jacket, cause I mean, these offices can get cold. So I always would bring a jacket. If you ever get chilly and sneakers, you are just fine doing that. There is no, there's no dress code, but what I will say is keep in mind what you have on your outfits. So if you've got like a necklace that's like the marijuana leaf on it, or you've got like a hand tattoo or something like that, or anything that's going to be like drug related or gang related or anything that might indicate that, you know, uh, you don't want to wear like uh, prostitution for life on your jacket or something like that, don't do that. And if you have potentially uh, negative looking tattoos, like, look, I I'm not here to say that your tattoos are right or wrong. I'm just here to say that most of your USCIS officers are going to have a more negative view of gang ish looking tattoos. So you be the judge of this and buy some of that makeup that covers tattoos up. If you feel like they look drug or gang or otherwise um, potentially negative because you don't, number one, want to get a bunch of questions about stuff. If you have a marijuana necklace on or, you know, it's on your sunglasses over here and you've got your sunglasses on your head, maybe you just like, you know, maybe you just like uh, reggae and Bob Marley. And that was like a hat you got when you were in Jamaica one time, but it's going to make the officer think, does this person use drugs? And if and I'm just going to ask a whole bunch of questions about it and they can even send you to go get a blood test if they want, if they suspect it of you. And then you have to take a blood test to prove that you don't have anything in your blood. And that's pretty wild, right? So just kind of keep that in mind. Again, I always go by the rule of 
There's nothing wrong with being the best dressed person in the room. So if you feel like, oh my gosh, what if I'm overdressed? Like don't wear an evening gown, but I would just say dress nicely for um, the occasion. If you already dress that way, like if you work in an office environment, wear a suit that you feel comfortable in. If you, you know, work in construction, like many of my clients do, jeans, sneakers, and a t-shirt are totally fine. I love it when people roll in just looking like them. That's how I am today with my uh, dinosaur t-shirt on. I'm a mom. I've got a little boy who's five and he loves dinosaurs. So, you know, this is part of who I am. So you be you, this let's not get you in trouble with being too much of you, okay? Next up is a question that I get all the time. People ask, what do I bring with me? This is so important. So you have to bring your notice. I like to bring the original interview notice, but it's not required that you bring your original. You can bring a photocopy, bring your, at least a photocopy of the interview notice, or you're not getting in the door. They need to see that. That's like your, you know, did you ever watch American Idol? You get your golden ticket to Hollywood. You've got to have your, um, you got to have your, your golden ticket to get in the door at USCIS. So you're going to see on the kind of middle-ish of your interview notice. And if you if you haven't gotten your interview notice yet and you're just kind of watching this, trying to get like a handle, just Google USCIS interview notice and they're going to have samples of them online. But you'll see that it says like your interview is on such and such date, you know, April 21st, uh, 2023 at 1030 in the morning at, at the USCIS office. And it's going to give a 16th street address if you're here in Phoenix. Perfect. Now I know where to go and I know what time my interview starts. Now it will also say, this is kind of more of a pandemic related thing that they've kept. Don't arrive more than 15 minutes before your interview. So what that means to me and that what, and what it should mean to you is don't get there later than 10, 15. You want to be, if your hand on the door, opening it up at 10, 15, so you can get in line. Cause you're going to get in what's like airport, like security line and you never know if that line is going to be long or short, and you never know who's going to be prepared and not prepared in that line, and they may hold up the line. You do not want to walk in at 1020 and think that the line's only going to be 10 minutes long because everybody else does that, and it's like rush hour traffic getting in. So bring your interview notice and bring any government-issued IDs that they've issued to you since you filed for your green card. So if you have your work permit and your social security number, bring those with you. If you have a um, if you have a driver's license, go ahead and bring it with you. If you have a U.S., I'm sorry, if you have a, your foreign passport, whatever your home country is, you'll want to bring it with you. And if you have any other, you know, if you don't have your, if, if your passport's expired, don't worry, that's okay. It'll all be all right. If you've got like a name change issue where like your, you know, passport doesn't match the name on your interview notice, but it, it does match your employment authorization card. I would just be walking around. I, I would bring all of those things, um, but it gets a little complicated when you're trying to get through security. They want to see your EAD. Like they, they want to see your name on your interview notice match your ID because they don't want to let people through that aren't supposed to be there. So I've even had clients where like her married name was, let's say Martina's, but Martinez wasn't on her interview notice because she had just gotten married. And so she had, she didn't have an ID that really matched 
the names on both things. And that caused her problems in getting through for her biometrics appointment. So in any event, you want to take, if you've gotten your work permit, your social security number and your passport or other government issued ID and worst case scenario, you're going to want to bring just your, your birth certificate. If you don't have any of those other things for some reason. Okay. So you want a mandatory minimum, bring those two things and your person, your I-130 petitioner, they're going to want to bring the same stuff. You will also want to bring your filing. So bring your filing because if for some reason the officer only got half of it, and this kind of thing has happened before, they only got like half of it. You'll have the other half and be like, no, 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 I filed this evidence as well. I don't know why it didn't make it into your packet, but here's my stuff. You can also bring like, if you filed right after you got married, maybe you didn't have all of your ducks in a row in terms of like, I've got my, he's got me on his life insurance now and in our will and on our car insurance. And now we've got cell phones together. And now we've got a house that we're renting together. All this stuff that shows that you guys are a bone, you have a bona fide marriage, what immigration calls a bona fide marriage. You can bring extra stuff with you. You can bring originals, bring copies because you want to give the officer your copy. They, they can make a copy for you, but they don't like to do that. So always bring a copy for them and have your original for you. If you're going to basically what we would call supplement the record at your interview. Okay. I try not to do that, but it's no problem if you do. Okay. So you don't want to bring that stuff. And then last but not least, I always leave my phone in the car. Like I, if you bring your phone into the interview, they can ask to look at your phone. So do you want to introduce your phone into it? No problem. If you, uh, if you don't mind having the officer look at your phone or your spouse's phone or your kid's phone. Um, but if you bring them into the interview, just know that if they ask and you say no, then that's going to be looked at negatively. Like you're trying to hide something. But if you say, no, I left my phone in the, I left my phone in the car because I didn't want to be interrupted in this interview. That that's, I think a very fair answer because, um, you know, you don't, you don't want to be texting and screwing around while you're in the interview. The, the reason I mention this is because if you and your spouse, like sometimes spouses do not text a whole bunch. Sometimes they don't send lovey-dovey messages. Sometimes the relationship is not sexual in nature. So it's not like, you know, they're those types of, uh, photos, messages, you know, flame emojis being sent back and forth to each other. Sometimes people aren't even texters in general. And if the officer is looking at your phone and that's someone, and you're someone like that, it could seem like maybe you don't talk to your spouse very much. Maybe the last message you had in there, and this happened to one of my clients was don't forget about our interview tomorrow. It was like the last message they had sent each other in the last 30 days. And I will say that USCIS found that to be very unfavorable and issued annoyed a notice of intent to deny that we had to defend and we were able to win and got that couple got him his green card so no problem anyway i digress here's the deal bring everything you want the officer to consider and think about whether it's on your body or if it's in your pocket or if it's on your shoes officer's going to consider all of it and your word is your what they're assessing because if they think that you're fibbing for any reason, they can deny it based on discretion. Discretion cannot be appealed. It's a non-appealable issue. They can just say, in my discretion, this person should not get a green card and you can't appeal it. The end. Okay. So that's what you want to bring. You want to arrive, like I said earlier, 
it, it will say on the interview notice how not when not to arrive. Please be early. For me, if I'm you, once I get that notice, I'm going to figure out, I'm going to get my Google, I'm going to get my Google out and type in what time I want to get there by on the certain day and arrive by. And I'm going to have Google tell me, it's my little boy, how cute is he? Um, I'm going to have them, I'm going to have the Google tell me what time I need to leave by. And I'm going to check it again that morning to make sure that there's no weird traffic stuff going on. And the really uh, prepared person will do a drive by. So they've done the route before, because I'm telling you, especially for my couples, they have a fight the night before because they're both stressed out. They get into a spat. They don't sleep well. One person's like, what are you so stressed out about? It's not that big a deal. That's always the American because the Americans never had to go through this before. And hey, it's okay. Like they they shouldn't understand what it's like. I don't understand what it's like. I was born here, but I have watched enough people go through this experience where you're like, oh my goodness, this is very stressful for people, even when they have no criminal history and they have a really straightforward case. So like you're probably going to get in an argument the night before or the morning of your kids are not going to get ready. You're going to spit shine them to the best of your ability. So everybody's cleaned up, but someone's going to need to go to the bathroom right as you're trying to leave. This is me on school run mornings where it's like, dude, why are what are you doing? They're like, I had to go poop. You're like, oh my gosh, why did you have to go right now? This is the stuff that happens before USCIS interviews. You do not want to be cutting it close because once you get there, you're going to, your, your stress is going to go up and you're, you're going to need to, if you, if you got a lawyer, you're going to need to link up with your lawyer there. You're going to go through security. You're going to take off your shoes. The floor is all gross and your sweaty feet are going to get covered in this weird powdery dust that's everywhere in Phoenix on tile floors. And then you're going to shove your sweaty feet back into the shoes, put your belt back on, put your watch back on, put your earrings back on, get all of your papers organized. And then you're going to go over and check in. Okay. You're going to go over and check in at this little desk and they will give you a number possibly, or they'll just say, please have a seat. And someone's going to call your name and they may do both. Okay. But I guess what I'm trying to say is the one thing you can control is preparation. You can't control the officer's attitude, whether the officer thinks you're funny, ugly, nice, deserving, whatever. On some level, you just can't change that, but you can affect and you can control mostly being on time and being prepared and being well-rested. All of this preparation stuff is going to set you up for success for a great USCIS interview. Okay. So let's talk about, and I will say as a sidebar, if you need an interpreter for, for certain people when they're, you know, when you're applying for a green card, you can do it in Spanish. You can do it in Hindi. You can do it in any language you want. If you want to bring an interpreter, but sometimes, uh, different USCIS offices have different policies on whether the interpreter can be your family member and, or your petitioner. So you're going to want to find out before, and that's kind of hard to do. It's not like you can just pick up the phone and call, um, but you can ask local attorneys or maybe, you know, if you've got an attorney, they should know what the policy is. And worst case scenario is just hire a professional interpreter and bring your professional interpreter with you. 
so that they are able to translate for you. During the pandemic, this was very complicated and uh, they would usually just call their own, USCIS would call a translator for you rather than allowing more people to come into the room for social distancing purposes, but that's really going away right now. So you're going to want the safest bet is to hire a professional translator if you need a translator. The next best alternative is to bring a non-family member to be there to be your translator. And I guess the third best option is if your petitioner, like your, your kiddo or your spouse, if they're your only option for a translator, they're your only option for a translator. I don't speak Spanish very well. And I've had to be a translator for someone before because the things kind of went wild and that that was how that went. It was a naturalization interview and the gentleman had a medical condition where he ought to have been entitled to an interpreter. So anyway, okay. So next up, we're kind of on the, the back 40 of the back nine, whenever we are on this video is to talk about what to expect at the interview. So you go through airport like security, you go get checked in after that, because there's two checkpoints it's kind of like at the airport where you got to go in and check in all your luggage and then you got to go through security. It's a little bit of the opposite at USCIS. First, you got to go through security. They want to make sure that everybody who's there is supposed to be there. And then they'll check you in and kind of giving give you your boarding pass, which might be, it's like at the DMV, like a little ticket that has your has a little a unique number on it. And then you can see who's being called. It's very much like a DMV vibe. Once you, or they'll call you by name. Once you sit down and you can kind of survey, I always go pee right when I get there because you might be sitting in the lobby for like, I've sat in the lobby for three, four hours before, and you're just sitting there and you're like, well, if I go to the, I feel like as soon as I go to the bathroom, wait, after waiting two and a half hours, they're going to call me and I'm not going to be here. And then, and then are they just going to skip me? So my recommendation is just go, go hit the toilet beforehand so you can go sit down. I know this is weird to talk about from a lawyer, but hey, we are humans and creature comforts are important. So hit the toilet first and then go sit down. And then I would survey like here in every few minutes, there will be an officer, at least in Phoenix, and an officer will come out and call the person by their last name. Most of these offices have that overhead lighting that's really loud. So if you're at all hard of hearing, um, or if you're like me, where like, you just want to be crystal clear if they said your client's last name, because everybody kind of jumps as soon as they start saying someone's name, everyone starts listening like, Oh, is it me? And they're all looking around. Um, and it's just anxiety inducing, especially if you feel like you can't hear. So I march my clients right over by the door that USCIS officers are coming in and out of, because I want to be right there. I don't want to have to walk a long way and maybe trip or like, come on, hurry up or anything like that. I want to be right there. I can hear them. I can see them. I'm going to present. I am, you are on my friend. As soon as that door opens, your interview has begun. So be there, be prepared for when they call your name or your little number. Okay. So you're going to go back. Hi. Yeah. I'm so-and-so. Um, uh, Martina McBride here for my interview. And they're going to take you back through a set of like security doors into just a, there's just a whole slew of offices, like little, almost like enclosed cubicles. And they'll wander you along and you'll make chit chat, small talk. Your interview hasn't started, 
but your interview has started. So keep in mind, it's okay to say, oh yeah, you know, beautiful weather. Don't be like, oh, I'm so nervous. Everyone's nervous. Um, Don't go over the top with, oh, I love him so much. Just be you. Just be you. Sit down. They're going to swear you in. Okay. They're going to, and what I will say before I kind of move into the interview portion of this is I oftentimes wait in the lobby waiting for my interview to be called longer than the interview is itself. So if you end up, you're like, I've been out here for an hour and a half, just in the back of your mind, think, I bet that's going to be longer than my interview is. And it's all good. If you wait for a really long time, I would say more than an hour and a half. I would go back to the front desk where you checked in and just say, Hey, I just want to check in on this because I, my interview was scheduled to start at 1030 and it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's what's an hour and a half, 1130, it's 12 o'clock. So I just wanted to check to see if everything's okay. Cause they can always call and talk to the supervisor and they can check scheduling and like, let you know if everything's okay. But if you're sitting out there for a long time, I have, I have waited one time I was in New York city at the JFK USCIS office. And I waited for like, we waited for almost five hours and they kept telling us, yep, no problem. They're just reviewing your file. No problem. We're like, Oh God, what's going to happen back here? Like, what are they planning to do? It was a complicated case, but good grief. Um, and then they ended up coming out and saying, you know, we could not find all of his file. It's in two different offices. We're going to have to reschedule the interview and have you come back another time. So these things do happen. In any event, that's only the one time out of many, many, many interviews. So that's not going to happen for you. Statistically speaking, it's just not possible for it to happen to you. Let's go with that, okay? You're going to probably wait in the lobby as long or longer than your interview is going to be with the officer. So they're going to take you back. They're going to look at your interview notice and they're going to ask first things first for your IDs. That's going to include for your attorney. We got to prove that we're an attorney. Got to have our bar card or proof that we're an attorney. And they're going to want to see those documents I was telling you about earlier in this video that you need to bring. That's when they're going to want to see it. And they'll want to see your social security card. They'll want to see your work permit if you have it. And if you haven't been issued it, no problem. You can just say, oh, I haven't been issued that yet. This is, these are the forms of government ID that I have right now. They're just trying to verify that you are you. Okay. So no stress. Then they're going to swear you in. If you and your spouse or you and your kid are both going to testify. And I'm talking like you see on the movies in court. If both of you are going to do this, they'll have you both do it. Otherwise it will just be you. And they'll say, please stand and raise your right hand. Do you promise to tell the truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God. It's something very generic like that. Kind of like you see in the movies and you say, I will, or I do, or I promise I swear. And then you both sit down. All of you sit down. That's when the interview starts. Now keep in mind, and I wish that I wish I could show you a picture of my little camera. There's a, um, oftentimes a little camera on the side of the USCIS officer's desk facing you and you are being recorded. So even if the USCIS officer, and they don't record every single one of these, but they, they do record many of them. And even if the officer leaves the room to go make a photocopy or go grab something, or maybe they have a, a tickle in their throat and they need to go get a glass of water. If they, even if they leave the room, camera's still rolling, camera's still rolling, no jokes, no WTFs, no talking about them. (laughs) You're still on. Okay. The show must go on. Big brother is watching. Okay. 
because uh, this is all part of your record. It's all part of your green card uh, record. They're going to start by asking I-130 questions, just like we talked about. They're going to ask I-485 questions, just like we talked about. And then they're going to go over the I-864 to make sure that, you know, the person who's sponsoring you makes enough money if they haven't already made a decision about that. Many times my clients don't even get any questions about that because they've already figured out that, yeah, this person makes enough money to sponsor the beneficiary of the green card um, application. Okay. The, we've already covered a lot of kind of how the questions will be and that sort of thing. Just remember, you know, sometimes things can start to go wrong. This isn't the time to do either of two things. This is not the time to have a confession booth moment. This is not the time to be like, you know what? My whole life I've been saying that I was born on March 30th, but really I was born on April 10th. This is not the time. You needed to do that beforehand. So if you're about to go in for an interview and you know you've fibbed about even like a little white lie, little white lie, no big deal, no big deal. It's a big deal on an immigration application and it can ruin your chances possibly forever of getting your green card. If you've got even a, a criminal history, like let's say you had a, a cocaine conviction that ended up being dismissed you know, constitutional grounds. So it's gone. It's like it never existed. You're going to need to figure out, you need to talk to a lawyer about the most honest way to answer any questions about whether you have any convictions. Because if you say no, and then they ask if you've ever been charged with anything, you're going to have some explaining to do, and they may want some evidence. And that evidence may be stuff that is criminating, incriminating for you. This is not the time to figure all of those things out and turn white as a sheet and try to try to pivot your way out of this. Because what the officer will tell you at the beginning of your interview, and is true as a matter of right, is once I begin this interview, you have the right to end it at any time. However, if you end it, if you guys are saying, I don't want to do this anymore, I want to withdraw my application, or I, 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 I need to leave, I feel uncomfortable, the officer has a right to still make a decision that may be adverse and could result in removal proceedings for you. So once this train is set in motion, it's real hard to stop it. So you just want to be really prepared. And if things start to go wrong, if what you said, this is where I've seen things go wrong, is when someone's speaking in a second language, super duper fluent, like so fluent, but they say something that the officer misunderstands. And this can happen if both of you are native English speakers too, but the officer misunderstands something that you say, and then we start to get into this little web, like a spin, okay? where I'm saying one thing, but you're understanding something different. And now we're no longer communicating and you think I'm full of it now. Those are situations like you can't really avoid miscommunication. I have had miss, mis like I, if you have ever been married, you know, you can't avoid miscommunication. And if you were having a human experience, like you must be, you know, you can't avoid miscommunication. It's really great to have a lawyer there who's kind of an objective-ish third party who can say, you know, officer, I just want to say that I think there's been a misunderstanding here. He's saying such and such, 
but it seems like you may have misheard him or misunderstood him earlier because it seems like you may have understood his testimony as such and such else. And so that's creating some confusion. It's great to have someone who's not in the heat of the moment feeling like, oh my God, they think I'm lying, but I'm not lying to be able to say that. And if you don't have an attorney there, that's no problem. You'll just need to be able to communicate that. I think there's been a misunderstanding. Can I re-explain this? Because what I'm trying to say is not coming across. I want to repeat that back to you again, because it's a really valuable, maybe jot it down. I... I want to, I want to re-explain my answer because I think what I just said is I didn't communicate it very well. And I want to make sure that what I'm trying to say is communicated accurately. Cause I know this really matters. And the officer's gonna be like, yeah, no problem. Of course. The bottom line is if you feel like the officer's just being a jerk, I could use a worse word. Cause I've had officers who were worse words just remember, they're probably like that to everybody. It's probably not you. I mean, I had a guy who I'm hesitating because he's still a current officer. So I don't want to say anything bad. He was basically picking on my client's spouse for his job type. That's what I'll just leave it as for the kind of work that he did. He's an American guy. He was basically picking on him for the type of work he did, kind of insulting him as a man. And I was really proud of my client's husband for just kind of sitting there and taking it because his wife's case got approved, but he, it's almost like he was trying to provoke them in order to create a little bit of a kerfuffle. And that's a real bummer. I've had other interviews with that officer and he does the same thing to everybody. So he just, does, it just, just don't take it personal. That said, if you feel like the officer is being personal to you, you can always ask to speak to a supervisor and say, may I, I, I think that I feel very uncomfortable right now. May I please speak with the supervisor? And here's what that's going to do. The supervisor will have to come in. The officer must go get the supervisor. As soon as you ask for it, no more questions can be asked. The supervisor has to be brought in. But the supervisor cannot influence the decision of the officer. So like if the officer is going down a road that they think that he or she thinks that maybe you've committed immigration fraud by whatever, they can say all sorts of like the, the supervisor can make sure that the rules are followed, but the supervisor cannot influence the outcome of what the officer decides. So you... I've only, out of all the USCIS interviews I've ever done, I've only once asked to speak to a supervisor. And it was in that case I was telling you about earlier that I briefly mentioned where I had to be a translator because my client was applying for naturalization and he um, has no, he has a medical defect. He's an elderly man. He's entitled to be able to get a medical waiver. We applied for it. It was sufficient. All sorts of nonsense was happening. So I asked to speak with a supervisor, like number one, I shouldn't be translating. You can call a translator. I shouldn't be translating. So I did ask to speak to a supervisor. That's the only time I've done that. So I just share that to say like, that is one heck of a double down on your position. And it's a, ri a risky move to make unless you feel like this officer is truly being bad. Okay. 
So don't take it personal and try to grin and bear it through it. And if you feel like someone's being basically racist or sexist against you or asking really inappropriate questions, unprofessional questions, that's when I would ask for a supervisor. Okay. Your interview will be done before you know it. You'll review if there are changes that need to be made. Like let's say when you filed it, you lived on South Main Street, but you've since moved and now you live on North 15th Street. No problem. You can tell the officer you don't need to bring a new form or anything. They'll just handwrite it on the form and they'll update it as they go along. If you've had a kid since then, no problem. Bring the birth certificate. They'll add the kid to the list. If you need a separate I-130 for this kid or something like that, that that's a different deal. But like if your kid's born in the U.S., you're just going to need to update your I-864 and the form that lists all of your children. You won't have to file a separate petition for your U.S. citizen kiddo, Okay. Um, bring the birth certificate. If you've got more updated taxes or more updated W-2s, like we just right now, I think it two days ago was tax day um, in 2023. Today's April 20th. Um, you may have more recent taxes that you want to bring in. Bring those in with you and they can update forms and they will help you out. Um, it's not a big deal. They They have to do it anyway. And they'll go over every revision made. And then you do a little signature on this um, little kiosk kind of like at the grocery store, you have a little tablet there and uh, you'll sign next to you and approve every change that was made to your application. And then you'll sign under penalty of perjury that everything that you said was true and correct to the best of your knowledge or ability, and you will be all done. Now there's a couple possible outcomes and then we're going to be done here today. Okay. A couple possible outcomes for your right then and there, they're going to print out a piece of paper, no matter what. So you're going to hear like a lot of silence. This is the time where you're like, you know, going through every question that was asked and you're kind of sitting there thinking about everything and they're going to be inputting notes. Sometimes this can take 10 minutes or so, especially if they're having technical issues or you've had a lot of revisions to your application. They have a lot of, they have a lot of updates to make. So just with anything, it takes a few minutes, but what will happen is they'll print out a piece of paper and it's going to say, Congratulations, your case was recommended for approval. That is what you want, my friend. That is basically like everything is good. I just have to have one more set of eyeballs on this. Every single person who gets an approval still has to have their case, my table shaking, still has to have their case approved by a second set of eyeballs, okay? Just it's just how it is. Okay. No one walks out of there where it says, congratulations, you're approved. Congratulations. Congratulations. Your case is recommended for approval. That's what we want because within like two weeks or so, if everything goes right, your green card's going to come in the mail. Okay. Yay. And if your green card comes in the mail, that means you're never going to get a work and you haven't received your work permit yet. You're never going to get a work permit. You're just going to get your green card instead. And if you haven't received your social security card by then, your social security card will usually come about 10 days after your green card comes, which is also a good thing, okay? Now, the next outcome is congratulations. However, your case needs further review and they may tell you what they need. So like I've had clients where, you know, in the conversation with the USCIS officer, they're like, you know what, I, I did have a domestic violence, um, 
phone call with my ex-spouse made on me in, in like the, the, you know, about three years ago, I wasn't arrested or anything, but they did come to my house. Okay. Maybe that type of thing comes out and the officer wants to see that no charges were filed and that no, because domestic violence can be something, a ground of inadmissibility. It means you can't get a green card. So the officer may say, I'm not going to deny your case right now, but I do need, I'm going to give you a deadline. I'm going to mail you the letter. It's called a request for evidence, but I need to see that before I can approve your case. Um, It's those types of things, or I need to see more updated taxes before I can approve your case, or you need a joint sponsor before I can approve your case, or maybe you need a 601 waiver before I can approve your case. And what will happen is they'll give you that little piece of paper that says more information is needed before we can adjudicate your case. And then separately, they're going to mail you the request for evidence. They, they usually will not give you the request for evidence on the spot. They usually mail it out. Okay. Cause they're going to have to do that anyway, to make a record that you actually received it. The third option is you're denied and they will let you know, usually in a letter separately, why you're denied. I have to say, I've never had, uh, I never had one denied. So I don't actually know the rest of what that process is like, but that is obviously a possible outcome. Um, If you have immigration court experience, if you have a warrant for your arrest, that's outstanding. If you have, you know, a prior removal order that has not been effectuated, just talk to a lawyer before you go, please talk to a lawyer before you go. Because if you have a warrant, especially even if it's for like a speeding ticket that you didn't pay, and then now there's a warrant out for your arrest, you can get arrested at USCIS when you show up for your interview. Like, it happens. So talk to a lawyer because I don't want that to be the possible outcome for your situation. Okay. My hope is that we're all done here now. My hope is that you now feel extremely prepared. You cannot, and I hope you never have to go to your interview twice. Okay. You don't get to go like I did for law school exams go sit in the chair before the exam, but you can drive by, you can prep the materials. If you work with a a law firm like New Frontier Immigration Law, we sit you down and we we go through the questions and I we we role play and pretend to be a USCIS officer. So you're really prepared and nail it. I hope that this is helpful. Check out more of our videos here. We're really trying to revolutionize our videos, our podcast, really trying to revolutionize the way the immigration law is approached so that more people get their papers and overall. We hit New Frontier Immigration Law's big mission, which is to help remove fear from the process and to help a million people get their papers. See you next time, my friend. My friend, I'm so glad you joined me today. If you have a friend or family member who may need some immigration law guidance or even just day-to-day encouragement, please send them a text or email or a DM on social media and say, hey, I think this podcast is going to help you. I sure wish someone had given me the tips I'm sharing here years and years ago when I was starting out as an immigration lawyer. Thank you so much for being here. I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Adios.